I'm Chad Robertson. I want to welcome you to today's edition of Awakened to Grace as we are walking through the book of Hebrews. Today we come to chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. And you know, my friends, this is some of the toughest scriptures found in all of the Bible. There are so many different views, so many different interpretations of these verses it gets really complicated really fast. And in my 20-plus years of pastoring, I don't know if I have ever approached a sermon more carefully than I have this one. Friends, I want to not only show you my view of what I think this text is saying, but more importantly, I want to stay true to the whole counsel of, of God's Word. And that's what we are going to aim to do in today's sermon. If you have more questions as you listen today, I would love for you to reach out to me directly. You can always contact me directly by emailing me at pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. And even though I'm blind, I get each of your emails, and I love to respond personally to your emails. So if you're someone that you struggle with your salvation, if you're someone that you doubt your salvation or you don't have assurance, or if you're someone that you just don't feel firm in your faith, I want you to reach out to me. I would love to have some conversation with you. I'd love to pray with you. Always feel free to reach out to me. Well, today we're going to be in verses 4 and 6, and we are going to attempt to rightly handle, to rightly divide this wonderful word of truth on today's episode of Awaken to Grace. I have looked ahead months ago to this particular text, and I have approached it with all seriousness. In my view, the verses that we are going to explore today are among the most complex in all of the scriptures. These few verses alone have caused a world of confusion, a world of disagreement among believers. They are tough. They are weighty. They are challenging. But we are going to seek to rightly handle them today. And let me explain to you why. Around this time of year, each year, the fire marshal will send an inspector to our church and he will go through our entire building. If there is an environment that is locked, he expects us to hand over the keys and allow him in and he, he inspects every square foot of this facility. What would you think if the fire inspector came this October and found 
faulty wiring. Something very dangerous. And the fire inspector said to himself, you know, I really like this church. And they got a lot of good things going on. I really don't want to cost them a lot of money. What if the fire inspector said, I really like that blind guy. And if I tell him what I found, it's probably going to ruin his day. And the fire inspector just covered it up and said, I'll just let it be. Would that be right or would that be wrong? And like a fire inspector today, I am asking your permission. Like a fire inspector, you may have areas of your life that is wide open to God. It's wide open to the world. It's wide open to the church. But then you've got these other areas that are locked down tight. And you don't allow anyone else to see. You don't allow anyone into that part of your world. Some of you listening today, your phones are locked because of what you have inside them. Your internet browsers are locked down because of what is there. Behind closed doors, the things you think about, the things you love, the things you participate in, the things that you don't bring to church are locked down tight. And like a good fire inspector, let me tell you, precious people, today, my chief responsibility as your pastor is not to make you feel good about yourself. My chief responsibility is not to buy other property and build a large building. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to manage the staff and to lead all of our leaders and create more programs. That's part of my role. That's part of my work. It's part of my responsibility, but it is not the chief responsibility. Do you know my chief responsibility? It is to prepare you for eternity. That's my chief job, to equip you to stand before God. And my job this morning is to take the scriptures and to help you, precious people, find any faulty wiring in your mind and in your heart. Any faulty faith that may be among you. Some years ago, we were getting ready to begin prayer meeting and an outlet over here underneath the screen caught fire began smoldering. Thankfully, we were here. Thankfully, we called it. Do you know what it was? Faulty wiring. There's some listening today 
you have a checklist that you check so many boxes. But when you stand before God, if you do not heed the warnings of Hebrews, you may find that what you had all along was a faulty faith. Let's examine the scriptures today. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, 5, and 6 are among the toughest text in all of the Bible. We have invested weeks. As a matter of fact, we've invested six months, half a year, walking through the first five chapters of Hebrews alone. We have asked and we've answered the questions. Can a believer who has experienced authentic born-again salvation, can they lose their salvation? And I have argued based upon my view of the scriptures, you are more than welcome to disagree with me, but I have shown you my views of the text, my views of what we've covered thus far in Hebrews, that a believer cannot lose their salvation. Then what in the world does verses 4, 5, and 6 of Hebrews 6 teach? Because it cannot be in direct controversy to the rest of Scripture. If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this one very important phrase that will guide you in all of your Bible reading, in all of your Bible studying, in all of your Bible living. This is an important phrase. The whole counsel of God's word. Why do we say the whole counsel? Because you know, as well as I know, you know what we as Christians, not they, I'm talking we as Christians, do you know what we all love to do? We all love to cherry pick scriptures. We all love to build our thoughts and build our feelings and build our doctrine and build our arguments on cherry-picked scriptures. What you and I are to do in interpreting the Bible, in studying the Bible, in living the Bible, is to apply the whole counsel of God's Word. And that's what we must do with these scriptures as well. So let's look at it today. Verse number 4 of Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible. Now this word right here has caused many to doubt their salvation. And I want to be careful today. I want to be extremely pastoral because I'll just be frank with you. There are some Christians who are Christians in name only and they're not genuine and they're not authentic and they need to inspect their lives. They need to, they need to ask the question, am I truly born again? They need that. And then there are others who truly are born again but have no assurance of their salvation. Their perspective has never been concreted in the Scriptures that their salvation beginning to end is in Jesus Christ, not within ourselves. And so I want to be very careful. I want to handle rightly for those who think that they are Christ's followers, but their faith is faulty. And then for those who truly are, but they don't feel it. 
And let me tell you, there's nothing worse than asking the Lord to save you over and over and over when you're already saved and you never feel any different. Friends, it's not based on feeling. It's based on the truth of God's word, not feelings, okay? For it is impossible in the case of those. Now, who is he talking to? For six months, I have painstakingly pointed out to you nearly every single pronoun in the book of Hebrews, have I not? We've seen us, we've seen we, we've seen you. We have noted nearly every single pronoun in the text, even in verse one of chapter six. What does the author say? He says, let us leave the elementary principles of Christ. And what does he say that we are to do? Press on, move on toward maturity. The author constantly includes himself at least 24 times in the book of Hebrews. He includes himself with the readers, with the audience. The pronouns are mighty important in your study of the book of Hebrews. And when we come to verse number four in chapter six, I want this to jump out at you. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those, not we, not us, not even you. Do you remember when he gave the hard word that you have grown dull of hearing? He's not afraid. He's not, he, he's not intimidated to say hard things. The question today is, who is he speaking to? I'm going to argue today, based on what I see in this text, I'm going to argue that the people that he is describing are not truly born again. And there are some who would have a major issue with that. Because how can you be enlightened and not be born again? How can you taste of the heavenly gift and not be born again? How can you share in the Holy Spirit and not be born again? How can you taste the goodness of the word of God and not be born again and of the powers of the age to come and not truly be saved? But I preach today with conviction because I want to show you it is very possible. So here's what he says. For it is impossible for those. You have to circle that pronoun. You have to understand it is not saying we. It is not saying us. It's not saying you. This is a different group of people. Now, let me show you even more so evidence of why I believe this. Skip down to verse 9. We, <laughs> let me just tell you. Today is a very hard word, and the author acknowledges that. Look at verse 9. Even though we speak in this way, what's he saying? Even though I'm saying such hard things, even though these are difficult things to hear and to receive, what does he say? But in the case of you, beloved, 
we are assured of better things. Now, I need an amen right here because I know what I'm saying is very hard. Can you say amen right now? This is two different groups of people. The those of verse number four are not the same people as the you and the us in verse nine. Of you, beloved. Look at that beautiful word, beloved. Those of you who are loved by God, those of you who are sons and daughters of God, those of you who are accepted in the beloved, amen. The author says, oh, I'm assured of much better things for you. What things? Not a hope so salvation, not a cross your fingers. Maybe, maybe when I die, I'll find out if I was accepted. Maybe when I die, I'll find out if I was loved by God. Maybe when I die, I'll find out if I was truly saved. No, that's not at all what the scriptures teach. Do you know what the scriptures teach? 1 Corinthians 6, 10 and 11 Adulterers will not enter the kingdom. Liars will not enter the kingdom. Idolaters will not enter the kingdom. Swindlers, thieves, greedy, all of these things will not enter the kingdom. But then the apostle Paul, oh, listen to what he says, verse 11. He says, and such were some of you, but you've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Amen. We are not who we once were. We now share in a heavenly calling. And what does he say? He says, I am more assured. I've got, I've got assurance of better things for you. Things belonging to salvation. You know what that belonging means? It means things possessing salvation. Oh, friends, eternal life is yours if you belong to the Lord. Salvation is yours if you're born again. You're heirs of the promise if you are in Christ. But let me tell you what this text, verses 4, 5, and 6, let me tell you what it doesn't say. And what it doesn't say is mighty important. It says that they were enlightened. It says that they tasted the heavenly gift. It says that they share in the Holy Spirit. It says that they tasted the goodness of the word of God. And it says that they tasted of the powers of the age to come. But let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they were justified. It doesn't say they were born again. It doesn't say they were sanctified. It doesn't say they were cleansed by the blood of Christ. It doesn't say they were forgiven. Do you know what this text describes? People who are around the things of God. People who have even tasted the things of God. People who have experienced God, but they've never passed from death unto life. And there's many people. I'm going to deal with this word impossible in just a moment. For it is impossible in the case of who? Those, not us. Not you, not we. Those. Who were once, here we go, enlightened. 
What does it mean to be enlightened? The actual Greek term here means to be enlightened by teaching. They were exposed to truth. I link this to Matthew 4, verses 15 and 16. Christ comes on the scene in his earthly ministry and all of those in Galilee and all of those in Capernaum and all of those in Bethany and all of those in Jerusalem and all of those in those areas. What happened? Light dawned out of darkness. They saw the light of Jesus Christ. They saw his miracles. They saw his power. They saw his love. They saw his mercy. They saw his compassion, but yet they did not repent. Light came to those people. They were enlightened, but it did not produce salvation. There's some of you, you've been enlightened. If I asked you right now, Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The majority would say yes. But demons believe and tremble. See, the question, and I want you to hear this, and I never want you to forget this from me, your pastor. If I could could tell you one thing and boil it down to this, this is the one thing that I would say to you. You can have faith, but that doesn't mean it's a saving faith. A saving faith transforms your nature. A saving faith trusts only in the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else for forgiveness of sin. Nothing else. All others are sinking Sand. They were once enlightened, but it did not produce true repentance. Number two, they tasted of the heavenly gift. What does this mean? I take this as Christ. For what did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 9 or 2 Corinthians 9. Thanks be unto God. For his inexpressible gift. Christ. They've seen the goodness of God. They've seen the goodness of Christ. They're familiar with the things of God. This is the one that really I had a difficulty with. They share in the Holy Spirit. Now what's this mean? How can someone share in the Holy Spirit and not be authentically born again? How? How do you explain that? It's unfortunate that some translations, the translators used the word partake here. Some translations will say partakers of the Holy Spirit, which leads you to link that word partaker to what we've already studied so much in Hebrews, that we have become, we are partakers of Christ. That leads you to think of 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, that we now are partakers of God's divine nature. We have that commonality with God. We're born again, therefore we are of his nature. But that's not the Greek word here. The Greek word is not partake. 
as we know that in salvation. I believe the ESV gets this right. I believe the NIV gets this right. And, they, and the New Living Translation gets this right. They use the word share. What does that mean? Those who share in the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this. I have no doubt that many of the original audience that this letter is written to, they saw the mighty miracles all throughout the book of Acts. I would not be surprised if there were not some who received this letter who was in the very house the night they did the prayer meeting that the entire house was shaken. They have shared in experiences of the Holy Spirit. My friends, that's no different than today. Let me tell you something. We believe in the power of prayer. Can we say amen? We believe in laying hands on the sick. Can we say amen? And we have laid hands on many, and we've watched tumors disappear. We've watched them vanish to the glory of God. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And that is no different than you being in a congregation like this and you watching the mighty moves of God and you watching the Holy Spirit fall upon us. And you share in those experiences. And you go home and go, wow. It's no different than someone feeling emotional toward God. You see, that's not salvation. It's no different than someone really digging into the scriptures because analytically they want to connect to God and they want to understand God. And so they have the analytical ability. They've got the capacity to read and dig and study. But yet that's not being born again. I want you to hear me today. It is possible for you to share experiences and be outside the faith. What a, what a weighty thing to say and to think about. So he says, they've once been enlightened. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They share in the Holy Spirit. Now, verse number four. Oh, and let me just say this right here. Let me tell you something right now because some of you some of you are just sort of wringing your hands right now and you're kind of going, I don't know if I'm truly saved. Let me give you some good news. Chapter six, I'm telling you, from now until if everything goes as I think it's going to go on schedule, from now till October the 30th, we are going to unlock the treasure chest of Hebrews chapter six. And what we're going to find in the next set of verses are absolute rubies and sapphires. They are absolute diamonds and emeralds of the glory of salvation. And I'm going to teach you out of the scriptures how you have an anchor for your soul that you do not have to doubt for a second being born again. But see, it's similar to sharing the gospel. 
An individual cannot fully understand and appreciate the good news until first they hear the bad news. They have to know they're a sinner before they can really receive salvation. Well, that's sort of the order of our text today. We have to hear this hard thing first. We have to do a fire inspection first. We got to look through the wiring of our faith first and see, are there any faulty faith within me before we lay hold and before we take possession of all that salvation is. Can I hear a big amen today? Those who were once enlightened, those who've tasted the heavenly gift, those who share in the Holy Spirit, and now those who tasted the goodness of God's word. What's that mean? That's those who want the benefits of the scriptures. But yet they don't live the scriptures. What, what do you mean, Chad? Can I just be frank with you today? Is that okay? Because, see, let me tell you what's good about being blind. If I make you mad and you don't show back up next week, I don't even know it. I can't see you. No, I want to tell you, I, I joke, but let, let me tell you pastorally, let me tell you lovingly. Many of us have scriptures on our walls. Bless this house. But yet what we permit in our house God cannot and God will not bless. That's a faulty faith. That's faulty wiring. Now, those who tasted the goodness of God's word, that's people who, they want the benefits of what scripture teaches. They, I have met people. Now, hear me now. I have met people who their life is an absolute mess because of sinful choices, because of sinful consequences. And they'll tell me, yeah, but the Bible says everything will work together for good. Not for you. You're not living according to God's word. Now, come on. Is that right or wrong? I mean, so what must you do? You must say, now, hang on. The Bible teaches this, and my lifestyle is going that way. I better get on the path of righteousness. I better change course. See, that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. You can't follow God's word and go your own path. That's what I'm trying to say. You can't want to follow God's word with one day a week and then live your own life and live your own lifestyle and go your own way the rest of the week. That's someone who's tasted of the goodness of God's word, but has produced no real repentance. <clears throat> the scriptures call it a wheat and a tear. Wheat and weeds. You can't tell them apart until harvest time comes. And then lastly, it says, and... The powers of the age to come. What's that mean? That means the supernatural things of God, the workings of the Holy Spirit. Again, church, I can't emphasize enough. You can be part of a spirit-filled church like this and your faith not be genuine. Now, let me clarify this. Look at the next verse. <clears throat> if they fall away, 
Now, some commentators, some very good commentators, some men that I respect to the highest degree who are now with the Lord, they read the word if there as hypothetical. It is impossible for someone to fall away. So if they did, but this is a hypothetical situation. I don't hold to that. The actual Greek there says, and fall away. The author is saying, this does happen, it has happened, and you are in potential danger of it. Now, what does fall away mean? Fall away does not mean to have sin in your life. Now, say amen if you're with me right now, because this is mighty important. No, 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 I need a hearty amen. Amen. Okay, I, you cannot miss this because Satan will have a field day with you if you miss this. <clears throat> Falling away does not mean that you sin because we all sin. Falling away does not mean two Christians who disagree on a theological point. That's not fa- That brother can't look at the other brother and go, well, you've fallen away. No, <clears throat> I want you to write this down. To fall away means an absolute rejection of God's truth. Apostasy, you got it. To fall away is apostasy. It is a willful turning your back on God's revealed truth. Now, why does it say that it is impossible for those who have fallen away to be restored again to repentance. The word fall away here means an utter and complete falling. It's more emphatic in the Greek. It's got a heavier punch in the Greek than even what Christ said when in Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, the house built on the solid rock, the house built on sinking sand, the wind blew, the rain fell, and when the house built on the sinking sand fell, what did Jesus say? And great was the fall of it. This is even more emphatic in the Greek. It is an absolute destruction. There is a current happening right now that is very popular. My family and I just got back from the beach, as you know, two weeks ago. And the last few days we were at the beach, we could not let our kids into the ocean. You know why? Rip tide. So we warned them. Let me tell you something. Warnings are not bad. They're good. My children did not come home and say, we had the worst week of our life because my dad warned me. Riptide, serious. We wouldn't let them in. There's a riptide happening right now. And let me tell you what it's called. It's called deconstructing your faith. And it's a current. And it will pull you under. And it will drown you. I have listened to many videos of people who supposedly are deconstructing their faith. One young lady... Lord bless her heart. She bashed the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
She terribly bashed churches like us, and she was a former worship leader, and she said, I would take my guitar on the stage, and I would play music to manipulate people, and I would manipulate their emotions, and it was all fake. And you know what this young girl did the whole time she did her little TikTok video? She had a music of violin playing the whole time. I told Sadie, I said, she's manipulating us. How hypocritical. Is ridiculous. But there are some who, in what they think is sincerity, they are deconstructing their faith. I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you pastorally, that is a very dangerous thing to do. If you're not careful, you will erode your faith. As a matter of fact, let me give it a biblical word. If you're not careful, First Peter, uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. If you don't hold fast to your faith, you're going to shipwreck your faith. And there isn't a one of you precious people. There isn't a one of you precious families that I don't want to see you shipwreck your faith. And that's why these scriptures matter. And that's why we must hold to these scriptures and self-examine our own lives. Just as a fire inspector would carefully examine, let's carefully examine ourselves today. Why is it impossible? And I close with this. Why is it impossible to restore to repentance? Do you know why it's impossible? It's because for those who fall away, for those who turn their backs on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible because there's nowhere else to go. There's no other gospel to turn to. There's no other place to find forgiveness. There's no other place to find God than through his son Jesus. And here's what the writer says. Those who would fall away, those who would turn their backs. Now hear me, that's not sin. Some of you, you may have sinned last night, but that does not mean you've fallen away. Some of you right now are in a place of broken fellowship with God because your life isn't right, but that does not mean you have fallen away. Who has fallen away? Those who've experienced the true gospel and they've turned their backs on it. And what does it say for those, not you, not us, not, not, not we, what does it say for those? They are crucifying again the Son of God. What's that mean? It's very interesting. This word crucifying, number one, is in the present tense. It means right now they're crucifying the Savior. But you know what the Greek term here, it goes on and there's a deeper meaning to it. It means to crucify up. You know what that means? That means they display it to the world and they crucify all over again Jesus Christ to their own harm. And what's it say? And they hold him in contempt. They say, Jesus, your work on the cross is useless to me, it's worthless to me. Child of God, don't think that if you are in a sin today, 
that you have fallen away. That's not the case. But I want you to hear me today. Last thing I'll share with you. You know how I love my columns and I love my contrast. Just make two columns in your notes. On the left, write Judas Iscariot. On the right, write Peter. They both denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They both regretted it. One repented and Judas could not. Read Matthew 27 verses 3 through 5 to read the account of Judas Iscariot. He wept. He was sorrow. But listen, 2 Corinthians 7.10 teaches that there is a godly sorrow that does lead to repentance and then there's a worldly sorrow that does not. You remember Esau? He tried to repent with tears, but he couldn't. For it is impossible in the case of those who were once enlightened and have had all of these Godward experiences, but they never passed from death unto life. Now, in the coming weeks, I'm going to show you with all assurance how to know you're born again. And I've tried to show you that all through the book. And there's some of you that you need some wise pastoral counseling. There's some of you that you need to sit down with some seasoned believers who know what it is to doubt their salvation and get assurance of it and gain victory. You need to sit down with some of us and let us help you gain assurance. But then there's some of you, you've got the whole church experience under your belt, but you don't have genuine faith because your faith has never led you to true repentance. Your lifestyle's never changed. Your nature's never changed. You've never trusted fully in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so you have your Bible and you have your church and you have your pastor and you have your songs and you have your church things. But what you have is a natural faith. And what you need today is a saving faith that will transform your life. Let's bow our heads today. You say, Chad, you've said some very difficult things. That's it's really shaken my confidence today. I'm simply asking you to inspect yourself. Inspect your own faith. Is it a church faith or is it a saving faith? Is it a faith that 
creates this image of God, of who you want him to be. Or is it a faith that lets the eternal word of God shape in your mind and in your heart who God truly is? Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.